0: Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr.
1: Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and welcome. Thanks for joining us. You are about to hear a conversation that I recently had with Darrell Bradford, who is the Executive Vice President of 50Can. 50Can is a nonprofit that works across the United States to uh, advance their mission, which is very straightforward, to advocate at the local level for a high-quality education for all kids regardless of their address. And that last piece you're going to hear is very personal for Durrell, given his own experience as a child. Uh, And that will be clear in the story that he tells about his background and why he cares about this work. Uh, He also has dedicated a very significant part of his professional life to working on education. He was previously the executive director at Better Education for Kids, He sits on the board of Success Academy Charter Schools, EdBuild, the Partnership for Educational Justice, and the Parent Coalition for Excellent Education. Um, Durrell obviously knows a lot about education, about education reform, and about policy. But one of the reasons we wanted to talk to Durrell is that he doesn't put education into kind of just this policy bucket as one of a number of different buckets. Durrell is always out there talking and writing about how education and the failures in our education in the United States affect current events. So he writes for the $74 million, uh, this summer. He wrote about how education and failures in education affect racial inequality. Uh, you're going to hear in our conversation, we talk about how education is relevant to current events like the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Importantly too, I think you're going to hear in his passion and enthusiasm for the work that he does, there is also optimism about how individuals can have an impact. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. I've heard a lot of people talk about education reform, talk about education policy, and I'm sure all the people that I have heard talk are have interesting stories, have important things to say, but there's a sense in which there's so much out there about education reform that it can get a little... Mm-hmm. It can get a little monotonous and overwhelming and then like, oh, it's another talk about education reform. One of the reasons we really wanted to talk to you is because I've heard you speak several times now and every time you speak, I sit up and listen. And I think part of that has to do with your sort of personal approach to this. So let's start with how you got into the work that you're doing and what you are now doing at 50 Can uh, and how that fits into your own narrative about what's important.
0: Well, that's very kind, Jennifer. I, I don't know whether or not that means I'm doing a good job, or the the caliber, of the competition is declining. But I'll I'll take <laughs> it. Um, so, when you're like an adult, you know, you think about conversations that you heard um, as a, as as a kid, or whatever, and they and they all make they all make a ton of sense. And so, one of the earliest conversations I can remember was my mother and my grandmother. Having a conversation at the dinner table of the house I grew up in in Southwest Baltimore about whose address we would use so that I could go to the middle school I was not zoned for. So that middle school was called uh, Mount Royal in the Bolton Hill section of Baltimore, um, and the one I was zoned for was called Harlem Park, which is actually uh, a school that people know because uh, Michelle Reed taught there. You know, okay. like, uh, yeah. in, in the in the the Pleistocene of of educational reform policy, um, and so that didn't make any difference to me, basically. Like I'd, I knew I'd always had, um, you know, I wound up getting a, a, a great education, which is the thing that, that drives me. And I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second, but it didn't matter to me in a, in a professional way until um, August, 2001, um, I'd been, I was working in Manhattan. I had a job in the publishing industry. I was like running a magazine and and that was fun. Um, And the magazine folded and like two weeks later, 9-11 happened. Hmm. And uh, and I don't need to tell anybody what that was like. I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do. Um, And in the spring, a friend of mine from the University of Pennsylvania was like, my father just started this nonprofit in New Jersey. Maybe you can help them. And I was like, I'll do whatever they want me to do. And so, on August 17, 2002, I got on a plane and I flew to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to learn about the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program, about charter schools, about how the how the district was responding to competition, about the legal battles that had brought that into existence. Just a whole big, you know, like the whole panoply of, of, yeah. of you know early ed policy at that point, which was like largely grounded in, in school choice stuff, and. Uh, and I was like, wow, like, there's this whole universe of people out here who are working to make sure that my mom and grandmother never have to have that conversation about where about where I go to school,
1: you know? Um, so if I can just stop you for a minute. I mean, sure. when we're kids, so much of our lives is the norm, right? We don't... Um, uh, I grew up in an area that, you know, demographically was one way. And when I got to college, I realized, you know, the world was a very different way. Right. Sure. But you think that's the norm because it's what you did. It seem to you as a kid, like, this is just, this is just the norm. It's not something unusual. It's not something that's out of the ordinary or that my family has to go to extraordinary lengths or, you know, I mean, like. Having to use someone else's address. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it seemed wholly normal.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Because I
0: wasn't the only person I knew whose family had to have that had to have that conversation, right? So yeah. um, I have this joke ab- about it, and it's not we can. It's not just about school choice policy, but because you know. School choice meant so much to me in terms of like where I went to school and, and the person I was able to, to become. It's the policy bucket that I care about the most, you know? Yeah. But um, there's normally four ways that all Americans, right, um, de- get deal with school choice or have school choice, right? You, you're you lucky, like me, right? I, I got a scholarship. I went to an independent um, K 12 uh, all boys day school and it changed my life. You're rich. So you buy the right house, you pay for tuition, you do any of these things, like you, you know, you get school choice through the mortgage market. You're connected. So you know somebody who gives you the hookup, right? They do you the favor, you know, you're like, you're my boy, you know, um, or you lie, right? Which is yeah. kind of like the like the the, the black market of, edu- of, of education choice, right? Right, right? You tell somebody you live someplace that you don't live to get access to school that's supposed to be free, but if they find out that you don't live there, you have to pay for it you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and because that is that ritual, the you know, that ritual is so pervasive, right? Everybody's just on that hamster wheel all yeah. the time, yeah. you know? Uh, and so you don't think it's, you don't think it's abnormal because everybody's doing it. Yeah. And then one day in the future, like you get a job in public policy and you're like, wow, like the incentives around all this are like really kind of busted. <laughs> like, yeah. like, man, like maybe, maybe we don't want to make people, you know, maybe, maybe we don't, want to support systems that have off-duty police officers follow kids home to find out whether they maybe that is an unintended consequence of a system that assigns people to schools based on where they live maybe maybe that's not what we meant you know and then it all just becomes real in a very different way
1: yeah no so i'm sorry i interrupted you you were talking about (laughs) milwaukee and this conference and that's partly partly what i was thinking is what will help affect change is that we we recognize things can be different right and that there are there are lots of creative people out there thinking about how to make those things different. So sorry, you were talking about this conference you went to. In no, no, I
0: mean, I mean, it was like, like being there. I, you know, I mean, and that was the way, you know, we used to do ed reform, right? In the early 2000s or the late 90s, like some state or some city was trying a thing. Mm-hmm. And you went and saw the thing. And then you sort of retro, you know, you, you kind of like retrofit it for your local politics and situation, you know, so, so, you know, we went there and, you know, we went to uh, Pennsylvania because at the time Governor Ridge had passed a um, uh, uh, a tax credit scholarship program for families there. You know, and, and, and theirs was more about you know supplementing kind of like working class families who wanted more options. You know, um, in New Jersey at the time, you know, our, our efforts were were much more about you know giving kids who were assigned to chronically underperforming schools that were also extremely uh, expensive. Um, the option to attend private school if they wanted to, or you know, traditional district schools and other districts if if they wanted to participate. One of the things people don't you know sort of talk about very often is that um, a school district, a public school district, is normally absolutely willing to charge you tuition to go there if you don't if you don't li- live there, you know. Um, so so that, so there is that right, um, and if we could have enabled that, we would we would have done it too.
1: So you then. Are at that nonprofit, and yep. that is in New Jersey.
0: Yeah. So, so I was, um, so you know, I probably wouldn't even have this job now if I had to get it today. So I, I was wild. I was wildly lucky, and I had great mentors. You know, um, and I was hired as like the communications person because I would, you know, I was a writer. That was my thing. Um, and I got promoted, and I wound up having like a few of our strategy buckets under me. So you know, we had a couple of lawyers that used to just basically. Give school districts help uh, yeah. <laughs> on like yeah. you know IEPs and a whole bunch of other stuff. You know they were very like creative. We we had what we call the School Choice Alliance um, that I kind of co-led with with one with our uh, our lobbyists and that was you know that was our coalition. It was like African American ministers and the Hispanic business community and you know the like the sort of uh, the Catholic school apparatus and you know, some civil rights folks and some people believe in living, limited government and, and individual agency and those kinds of things. And, and that was that was great. Um, and then in 2009, when Chris Christie got elected, he basically picked up our whole agenda, which was, you know, very familiar, uh, you know, at the time it was like standards and assessment, mm-hmm. charters and choice, you know, uh, teach quality and pay, you know, like all, all of these things that were kind of in, in the bucket at the time. And my boss, who was like a father to me, he, he died that fall. Um, and it was like, it was horrible, but I, I took over for him. And mm-hmm. it really, um, you know, just from like a career standpoint, you know, like it, it put me on kind of a, a different trajectory. So, you know, I was there for like another year and a half and, you know, we got our, our bills sort of the two inch line. It didn't happen. I worked for another organization. We helped um, overhaul the, like uh, how teachers receive tenure in, in New Jersey, um, which was important, like tenure and, and teacher evaluation. So I learned a lot about that, you know, while I was doing it, learned a lot about elections, learned a lot about how to try to win them, like, because that obviously yeah. matters. Um, but in the end, you know, the thing that is most important to me was, is like your zip code should determine the kind of school you go to. And so uh, after a while, you know, we sort of parted ways and, um, and, I, and I joined the 50 Can Network, um, at first, run, sort of rebooting its presence in New York where I'd lived for a really long time. Even though I worked in New Jersey, I was in New York for like 14 years. Um, and, uh, and it was you know, largely a press lane. I liked to write and fight about you know, things. <laughs> um, and then o- over time, I wound up taking a role on, on our executive team. So I help our you know, the states in our network. Um, I have my own individual projects. Like I, I run a fellowship, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I have a big bucket of my own work, which is just around like policy and advocacy, like teaching people to be good advocates, like writing about great things that are happening local and and locally, and you know the barriers to scaling them uh, uh, and those sorts of things. So I'm en- enormously lucky to, yeah. to be in this. I have great colleagues, and I'm um, I get to think about things that 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 matter to me deeply um, and then talk to the world about them and and you know if it's a great job if you can get it you should get it
1: it so. <laughs> sounds like I would imagine that they think they're lucky to have you as well um, so if you were gonna I, I think people I don't think education is a left-right issue but I think we often think about it in terms of left right because it's related to policy you have to think about elections those kind of things. Like, the, what's the elevator sort of pitch of 50 Can and what you do? And is it a political organization?
0: Yeah, so uh, we support local leaders who are working to improve education policy in their states through advocacy, policy work, or elections.
1: Right. Um,
0: we're deeply invested in local people because local context is everything. Uh, you know, Ed, the education is like so hyper local on, on, on purpose. Yeah. Um, and, we, the way we do that is we centralize a bunch of stuff that no local advocate wants to do um, so that they can do what they want to do. You
1: know? so, so like, what's an example of the kind of stuff you centralize in order to get, in order to uh, let the local yeah. people focus on what they do well? Sure,
0: payroll, like oh, some, right yeah, some aspects of fundraising, accountability, mm-hmm. you know, that kind, of, that kind of stuff with, you know, like HR, like, like all of the things, all, all of the, the mundane things that an advocate is like, dude, I want to be at capital. Capitol. Like, yeah, why, like yeah. why, are we, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Oh, yes. Yes,
1: yes, yes. I very much, wow. I sympathize with that. Yeah. I, I thought you would. I thought you would. Yeah, oh. Totally. So, okay. So the, I want to, I want to talk about, in, in addition to, uh, when I hear you speak, I, I always sit up and listen. I was looking at the bios on the 50 can website and, you know, a lot of times you look at people's bios and you're like, blah, 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 whatever, you know? Yeah. They went to school here and there. What I love about the website and the way the bio, the biographies are structured is everybody responds to this question about, you know, um, who I aspire to be. And your answer to this, I loved, uh, was Neo from the matrix. And I think, let me find it because I wrote it down because I thought it was so great. You say, I aspire to be like Neo from the Matrix because you'd have to be asleep, plugged into the big machine, not to see that there is a crisis in American education. It affects low income and minority kids the most, but it also creates conditions that diminish opportunity and freedom for everyone. What I really love about this imagery is that it's both really clear about the scale of the issue, right? So in the matrix, you know, it affects everything. everybody, How we see and understand the world around us, right? So it's huge. It's it's ubiquitous and pervasive in every way. Um, But also the urgency of the challenge, right? Like to wake people up. So I would love it if you would talk about, uh, yes, I understand the importance of supporting policy change. I understand the importance of, you know, grassroots activism, those kinds of things. But, you know, at a, at a big picture level, why is education so important and why it is, why is it regardless of what circumstance any of us are in, if we're happy with the education that our kids might be getting, why is, what is education sort of carry in all these buckets that makes it so important to all of us and yes. that we all need to be woken up to?
0: Yeah, so, so just the, the, the top thing is that, you know, you often have this conversation about whether or not education is a right or a good. And for me, I always say it is a good. And it is the most personal of goods, because once you have it, it can't be taken away from you. Um, and then in a more sort of like reductionist way, as long as access to it is bought and sold through the mortgage market, it is a good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people who, who get those two things, Get more, have more leverage in the system than people who think it is sort of a, 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 a right and that we are somehow like failing to, <laughs> to, to apply it kind of, kind of equally, whatever. Um, so that's kind of the one thing. The second thing, which I think is really important and, um, and I would pull on another movie, because I love movies, um, uh, which is called um, Inception, um, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan, there's a great part in there where they're talking about the heist, you know, like and what and what they're gonna steal. I don't want to ru- ruin it for anybody who hasn't see, but it's been out long enough that everybody should know what happens. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the guy who's called the forger, he says you have to. The idea has to be really simple, and the 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 person has to believe that it is their idea, right? And so it occurs to me, and this is k- kind of why, from a policy standpoint, this moment is so. Um, impactful and important. That what we are trying to do when we talk about education or how we could have how we could better deliver education in America in a way that allowed more children to become the best version of themselves, right? Um, yeah. Is to convince people of something very simple that it does not have to be the way it is.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Right. It's, it's just it's just that it's just that easy. And so I think if a year ago you said. Yeah, there's no way we that the federal government would ever give people 1,200 bucks and just tell them to spend it and do whatever they want to with it. People are like, that's crazy talk. Right. And 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 now all of a sudden, that is a prime lever of federal policy policymaking in the age in the age of COVID. Right. So like, you yeah. know, yeah, that was impossible this year. People are like, oh, I guess it's possible. Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe we should use it more. And so over the last year, you've seen like you know, small groups of families go off and do their own thing, right? There's the, there's the rise of homeschooling. Um, and an and interesting thing about homeschooling is that uh, African-American parents were actually the, the fastest growing segment of homeschooling before the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Um, individual tutoring, right? Like micro schools, like Prenda, these, these, these other things. The, these were things that people a year ago would have been like, that's crazy talk. That's, that's never going to happen. And now they are firmly sort of in the in the mainstream, right? And in, in a way that like all kinds of families who are used to like, and this is going to sound pejorative, it's not meant you, but they're used to like the wind up ritual of K twelve schooling. Yeah, sure. You know, I wake up in the morning, I go, you know, I go, my kid comes back, they have homework, so I can go to work, and all and all of those things. Um, now there is this sort of like mm. burgeoning class of people that are like, you know, what it, it could be different, right? It doesn't have to to be to be this way. Um, and that has incredible policy implications, yeah. right? So, so at some level, the, the last year for all of its, um, uh, you know, bad, all, for all the bad, right? Yeah. Has also um, shifted the American mind around how K-12 could be in a way that, you know, if you had my job, we've been working to do for a very long time with, with some success. But now we're, I think we're in a very different place and a very different, different discussions possible.
1: You know, a few weeks ago, I participated in this program. It's called the Unify Challenge and it's a really interesting um, platform and group. And at some point I hope we can get them on the podcast but what they do is they, they connect people on who have different points of view politically who you've never met before via this online platform. And the first part of what you do with this person you've just met uh, electronically is to go through a survey they have. And this survey will give you points like, um, okay, don't worry about how this is going to be implemented, but, you know, between the two of you talk about, you know, if, if we, if we could provide, you know, high quality healthcare and, um, at a reasonable cost to people, we should do it. And then you go through and say, strongly agree, you know, agree, whatever. And over all kinds of different topics. And what it did, and what I think it's intending to do is to say, look, it doesn't matter that you disagree about the politics of it, that we can all agree that every child ought to have uh, the best education possible because it affords opportunities because it's the best investment you can make, right? We can, I, I just can't imagine someone saying, and in fact, the guy I was doing this challenge with who I just met, we are kind of like, who says no to this, right? <laughs> who says no, kids shouldn't have the best education possible. And no, we shouldn't try to make sure that people are educated. Um, but And I don't think people do that, but we get lost after that a little bit, right? So as you talk about this, one of the things I'm thinking is it's not just the policy and the the politicians and, you know, the conservative or liberal point of view on this. It's also getting people to be open to possibilities, especially the possibility that, as you say, it doesn't have to be like this, that there are other options because that expands what we can do, and I suspect, can get us closer back to this. Hey, we all agree this is what needs to happen, right?
0: I mean, this is the this is the
1: in um in one of the
0: one of the Ender's Game books
1: mm-hmm.
0: as I listen to it. Um, Orson Scott Card is writing about Peter Wigan. Is that what their names are? Um, he's the hedge. Of, he's 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 trying to be he's trying to be basically the Emperor of Earth, yeah. and he's talk he's talking about the institutions. And there's a point where he says, what, like he, he, he gets that it's essential that the institutions have momentum so that no one has to steer them all the time. Right. And that that yeah. in and of itself is really um, sort of important. And so I think about that a lot in this discussion, because like the best thing and the worst thing about our institutions is that they have m- momentum. Right. right. So, so like if if no one is at the wheel, they will carry on. At the same time, they will carry on in their own interest if nobody is at the wheel and no one and no one asserts pressure up, upon yeah. them, right? So there's so there's like a great, there's like a positive and a negative to the fact that we are a country with strong institutions that, that sort of have their own uh, momentum. That's the first one I throw out there. The second thing I think, uh, when, when you get past the, the goal, right, you have this conversation. I think Thomas Sowell is the person who said he's like, he said there's only trade-offs for everything, right? And what, what I think the, like the liberal mind and the conservative mind struggle with is the sense that, that everything, like, like there isn't unlimited everything right. versus there will be unlimited everything, right? right. And so if we have, a, if we have a, a world that is constrained in some way, we have to make trade-offs. If we have a world that is unconstrained, we can do whatever we want, right? Or, or I can do whatever I want, you know, right. because I'm in charge or, or 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 whatever this is. And those things are, are are at odds with one another. I would argue, and and this has been um, incredibly frustrating, and we, you know, 50 cam, we're like a we're like a 50-50 network, but basically like half in red states, half in blue states. Like my own political and sort of professional experience has been about uh, bringing sort of, you know. Republican or moderate executive, Democratic executives together with probably you know some other faction that is either conservative or moderately democratic to box somebody else in, you know, um, as a way to make durable policy change that neither group wants to get rid of, you know, afterwards. So like, I actually don't know how to be on, on any other way.
1: Hmm.
0: I think it's, um, it is a pox on everything we do that. We have like it's not just them but like <laughs> the like the social media platforms and 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 the press and just like like our whole information apparatus is built around division right now yeah. Yeah. with political identity as the as the prime sort of currency uh and that makes it impossible to even agree on the thing like yeah every kid should have a great education right because because mm-hmm. we don't talk because you just don't talk to each other right, and, right. And that that's really the thing I can't remember what the um, I'm not trying to segue away from education but this no, is no, that's okay. top of mind. there was a, a survey maybe Thomas Ed wrote a, a, a column about this in the times where they take a policy idea kind of to your thing and you say it to people and they're like that's a good idea and then if the person's a Democrat you say well this policy is by a Republican they're like I don't know yeah. And, and, and vice versa. Right. Yep. And yep. and much like our thing, it didn't much like the conversation we had where it's like it doesn't have to be this way. It also was not always this way.
1: Right. Right. right.
0: Which, which I think
1: well, is it's, it's funny that you say that, because um, I was just thinking, so we're we're recording this, what, two weeks. Uh, well, today is inauguration day, but it's, you know, two weeks now, I guess. Um, since I can't even remember, since the the attack on the Capitol. They were
0: six, yeah.
1: And I, I have two teenage daughters who were in the midst of doing homework that evening. And I said, listen, I want you to come and listen to the discussion on uh, these resolutions about certifying the, the vote of the Electoral College. And I said, I will be happy to talk to your teachers if you can't finish your homework tonight. Because to me, the idea that... You would be sitting there reading about something in the past when you can't sit. Watching history
0: happen as it happens. Like
1: that's crazy. And if your teachers don't understand that, then you know I'm happy to talk to them about it. But in watching that and then watching, um, I did watch discussion on the impeachment last week. One thing, and I and I discussed this with one of my colleagues. I mean, one thing that really struck me is. And and I will first I will preface this by saying when I hear people make calls for we need to learn about the founders we need to learn about American history I know that that comes from a good place but it can be kind of like a hammer you know. But I did think one of the things that I do remember reading uh, Thomas Jefferson saying about the importance of education and I don't think by the way I don't want to endorse everything Jefferson ever said about education yeah. but one of the things I really 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 remember is one of the important things about historical education is to remind us of what has happened in the past. And if we don't know about it, right? We don't think about it. We may subject ourselves to, you know, I think he says tyrannies and things like that. But it it occurred to me in watching this that somehow we've gotten to the point where we think in terms of history that we never disagreed about stuff, right, and that, you know, and, and in fact, when, if you want to go look at the founders, you look at the Madison's notes on the federal convention. I mean, there's people with personalities who are saying stuff that's kind of crazy, you know? There's serious disagreement. All of our history is, is suffused, I think, with us disagreeing. That's not something, that's not like, a, it's a feature, not a bug,
0: right? A couple of things on that. So um, Jonathan Haidt, who is way smarter yeah. than I am, he talks about three kinds of knowledge. There's new, new knowledge, there's new, uh, new knowledge and there's old knowledge, right? And so we used to be in a world where there was a lot of old knowledge. There was sort of a decent amount of new knowledge, which is like, you know, the last 40 years or something like that. And there was very little new, new knowledge. And now that's kind of on its head. We get so much new, new knowledge every second that it boxes out sort of kind of new knowledge and all the old stuff, right? And because of that, there is almost like a, um, it's gonna sound negative, but, but there is an ignorance of the fact that human existence is on a loop, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that in, in many respects, the challenges of any moment are the challenges of a prior moment that you do or don't know about, right? And human beings have navigated these things well or poorly in the past. And there's something to, to learn from how they, attack those things right and so you know for instance like everybody is like i hate the electoral college and it's like two weeks ago you didn't hate it you know because you know two weeks ago it was making sure that somebody didn't just grab the mic and uh and put their own you know passion and self-interest ahead of the republic and the process in a way that arrested it you know and there's a reason for that right (laughs) like that (laughs) Yeah. There it was on display, guess what, you know? Um, so I think that's uh, uh, that's sort of super um, important to re- remember. At the same time, it's like the, to your point about disagreement, Yeah, what has become most difficult is not to disagree. That's become really easy. It is to do so disagree, it is to do so agreeably.
1: Right. right?
0: Where, where after we do it, you know, like, I, I know you. I know you're a good person. You know I'm a good person. We have different motivations. Maybe we disagree on the policy, but you don't think I'm evil, right? right? Or, or or whatever. Or
1: stupid yeah. or whatever because you disagree with me. Co-
0: correct. Correct. And the frustrating thing about that, and like you know, like Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local, right? All all the stuff we do is is local. Is that the kind of relationship you need to have? to understand the motivations of somebody else um, and why they disagree with you in a way that lets you recover requires like some face time and some proximity. And I'm not saying that the pandemic hasn't stopped that. I'm saying like before we were in a world that was increasingly balkanized where people knew their neighbors less, were were becoming less civically engaged. You know, I mean, there's ironically a lot of uh, research that says that you know, a lot of kids who go to private school tend to be more engaged, like more typically, like, you know, not a not a one up thing, but like worth looking at, you know, to, to figure out like what our other institutions could could do. Um, but, the you know, the culture of alienation. Right. We can get anything we want. We can we can text a person on the other side of the world we've never seen. But, you know, you don't know your neighbor. And like you're not engaged locally in a way that builds, you know, relationships and and community, like the the fact that those two things are in such are at such odds with one another right now just makes the the politics, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, totally.
1: Well, and so I think, and I don't want to push you into you know, opining on something if you don't want to talk about this, but but I guess in thinking about the way you think about education and why education is important. And I don't want to say that education is a panacea for all of these problems, right. but, but education has a really important role, doesn't it, in this? In terms of thinking about, it is possible that the way we approach education, I think, can affect the way we approach those disagreements. It is possible that education and the way we approach education can address uh challenges of inequality all of these things i mean is that true from your point of view like education what what do we need to be doing in terms of education and how is education going to help us with this
0: yeah so so you know a lot of my colleagues who are who i think are to the left of me spend or are, are in this conversation right now about all the other things that affect a child's life and whether or not those things are more important than education. To, to me, um, the only person who extracts, who, who, who sort of achieves justice in an, inf- in, in an institution in a way that is equal to the, the dream of the founders, right? Is a person who's really well-educated, right? There are no people who are who are like you know moderately okay at reading, who are on the Supreme Court, right? Right. So 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 these things are inextricably linked. Um, And then just to to go back to my um, my point of earlier, like a, a person who's not. Well, educated in my humble opinion is is also never truly alive, right? Because your, your relationships aren't as rich, you, you know, whatever. It's and and I and I'm just going to define education, you know, broadly. I'm not trying to put people like in a, in a in a box and be like, oh, you're an elitist, you went to this, you know, whatever. Right. But but you know, like the it, certainly literacy being a key <laughs> a key component of it. Yeah, you know, I think we
1: can all agree yeah. on that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Um, so but, yeah. but the so, um, so, it's, so education to me is just like the the like the foundation upon which like human existence is built, right? And and the, the individual human ex- existence um, is best expressed. So I I think that's super important. The the challenge I think is so you, Yuval Levin wrote a piece about this. It was sort of like like what conservatives want from education, and I think you know there's there's probably a progressive analog to it too. Um, but he, he was basically saying that. The policies you support for education are about what you value, and that conservatives that conservatives value values, right? And so the they they see you know the institutions as a way to transmit the values that um, that helped us get here. Right. And they you know, my friends who are sort of to, to the left of UL 11, who's like a lot of people uh, <laughs> <laughs> are, 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 see the institutions more as a, a way to change our society in a, in a, in a, like that addresses injustices that they feel like have not been addressed to this point. Right. And there's overlap be- between these two things, but it ain't complete right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's certainly conflict in the areas that, that, do, not, um, that do not align completely. Um, and so I would just get to, to the bottom of this, this question of like, what role education plays? And like, what role you think it should play in our society? You know, there are people who are like, education is about you being able to do something. And there are people who are about education being about you being able to be something, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the do and the be are just different parts of, of of the brain. And if you set up a system about be, it's going to look different than if you set up a system about do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to have that conversation. You know, well, yeah. uh, one with sort of like more overlap. I think right now we're in a very kind of tenuous moment, and it's it's partly about like so like civics education, obviously, right? So. If you wanna see um, lots of people who perhaps could have used better civics education, you could go to the Capitol on January 6th. Um, and I'd, like I said, I'm a little tongue in cheek, but I'm trying to keep it real, is, it, is yeah. it one of the darkest days of my adult life, you know? Um, and so on the one hand, lots of people could benefit more from understanding why our institutions behave the way they do like why they're structured as they're structured, um, even if we disagree with it, right? Sure, yeah. On the other hand, there's a there's sort of an emerging discussion, I think, where people are like, well, I know what a good citizen is and we need to make institutions that make the people I want.
1: Yeah.
0: Who I think are good citizens. Um, and that ain't the same thing, right? That's be yeah. and do. Yeah, right? good, <laughs> good. Yeah,
1: that's great, yeah. I
0: love that. Um, and I, I, I would just, uh, you know, I just sort of throw that out there because I think that's going to be an emergent kind of multi-year debate. That if you are engaged in your own community at all and you want to see people who you know make sure we have a flourishing republic, you you might want to be a part of.
1: It. Well, and that's that is a perfect segue to the next question that I have for you, which is uh, I think. So I'm going to make an assumption uh, about the people in our audience that they are the kind of people who want to be involved in that, right? But they're also the kind of people who have lots of other competing demands. Um, And it's, you know, education is both a national cultural issue, but it's also a very personal issue. You know, I make decisions about my kids' education, I invest my time in their education. But, But having said that, you know, when we, when you're talking about this, I think, absolutely. I think it's imperative that I'm involved in whatever I can be to ensure that every kid has an opportunity to have an education that gives them a better chance, that gives them the opportunity to flourish. But it's such an overwhelming problem. What can I do about that?
0: Yeah. So, um, three things, I think three things. Um, we run this fellowship, this communications fellowship, and I'm always like, always say three things, and then you could stop at two if you want to, but you know, always say That's three. Um, so the first one is don't be afraid to start small, and that can include one kid, mentor a kid, right? Like just be be engaged in a kid's life that you know sort of isn't your your kid. Like yeah. you know, uh, teachers fill this role all all the time. You know, the the best teachers fill it for, for lots of people, but you know, and it can take lots of form form. So you, you could. Just have one kid. You guys go for a walk together. Or if you're a business owner, you can you can offer an internship, right? Help help a kid learn learn about the world, you know that kind of thing. But uh, but don't think that helping, you know, Einstein was one child, right? Um, you know, like any one given person could change the world for all of us, and that is um, super important. The second thing I would just say is like be be informed um, in a in a, a more socially flexible world, I would be like, go, go to a school board meeting and try not to claw mm. your eyes out. Right. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if, if you want to see the most venal, like, <laughs> like, like, we're all going to fight over the smallest thing, you know, yeah. um, uh, meetings, go to a school board meeting. Um, because like the, particularly our traditional district school systems, you know, the decisions about who learns what and who gets what and whatever are all made there. And, um, and sunlight is the best disinfectant. So I, I know that implies that everything that goes on at school board meetings is bad, not everything goes on, but they're bad things. Um, and, so, and showing up is you know, sort of like half the battle. So, yeah. so be, be engaged, you know that kind of thing. And then the, the third thing I would just say is like, if you want to take on more policy change, you have to be involved in the politics of how you change policy. Um, and even though school boards implement things at the local level, you know, um, most of the time education policy is set in a state context. So ask your local elect your local assemblyman or senator or, or your governor where they stand on policy X. Um, if you do not like where they stand on policy X, you should tell them where, where, where you believe they should stand on it. If, it is that important to you, and they don't change their minds. You may want to support someone else who, who has the position you do, um, because this is this is the way our you know our 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 system uh, works. Uh, last thing I I, I think uh, I know I said three before. I think the last thing is just like trust but verify, right? Mm-hmm. Um, assume assume the best intentions, but you know like sometimes sometimes the so the school systems and states are all political entities and political entities don't always have a vested interest in telling us everything <laughs> right right so like you know how much something costs how successful something is right i mean I mean, those are the kinds of things i think people want want to know because it's like it's like oaken's leaky bucket so, somebody on twitter was trying to tell me that i didn't know what i was talking about and i was like dude are you serious uh, but but <laughs> To me, o- Oaken's bucket is about how much you're willing to lose to get the thing. And different people have different thresholds for how much loss they're willing to take to get the thing. Yeah. Um, and so and like systems have tend to have a much like sort of lower threshold. Like they're like, we'll lose almost all of it to get this much of it, you know? And citizens, because you know, it's your money. Like you tend to have a different threshold on that, so I I, w- I would just be like like trust but verify, like find out about what's going on with with the bucket and go from there.
1: And if somebody uh, is interested in doing that kind of thing in terms of getting resources for that, where's where's a good place for them to go?
0: Yeah, uh, so it's, that's a a great great question. So um, uh, so you can always go. So every state has like an opaque website that tells you these things, right? So it's yeah. normally like. Your state at please don't come here.doe. you know, uh, so, so, so that's out there. Um, uh, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of sort of emerging like national media platforms that cover these things. I write for one called the Seventy Four Million um, that covers lots of different education policy. Uh, you know, liberal conservative opinion, straight news, uh, great place. Um, there are institutions you can look at. So, you know, the Center for American Progress, if you are uh, uh, progressive and care about uh, like more money in pre K, mm-hmm. um, the American Enterprise Institute, for instance, or the Cato Institute, if you are a, a fan of a more reserved approach. Um, uh, and, and I, you know, uh, I like what both those, I like what, I like aspects of what both of these organizations say sure. because I want to have a, a well rounded opinion that is informed by the best aspects of, of both of what they do. I would say that the other thing too is like, you know, right now is a time of incredible um, invention um, and, uh, and, it, and it, is, it is being catalyzed by just the necessity of figuring out how to educate kids differently in the pandemic. So I would just want people to visit a school, right? Just, just look around, you know, like, see how the best or worst you know actors are trying to tackle the challenges of today um, and then take the message of what's possible to your friends right because yeah. you know you are the the person that lives in a house with you right now is the audience you you need to convince so, so just right. start.
1: That's right. That's great. That's great advice. If people want to follow you specifically, is social media the best place to do that? Or apart Excuse from me. you, you mentioned, we'll link to 74 million as well.
0: No, I, I appreciate that. So um, I'm on Twitter, mm-hmm. although I'm reserved on Twitter. So if you want to see somebody who talks about education policy every once in a while, um, and the English Premier League a lot, <laughs> you can you can follow me at uh i'm at Dernwin d like david y r n like nancy w y n like nancy um and then again I, I write for the 74 and i'm you know if you search me you'll find me um but if we could meet in person that would be better
1: awesome awesome that's great thank you so much we really appreciate it and it,
0: was, it was delightful thank you for having me i appreciate yeah. it yeah
1: awesome great stuff We are certainly grateful to Darrell for joining us, and we will link in the show notes to all the things that we referenced in our discussion. I think the thing that, from my point of view, of all the great things that Darrell had to say, I will take away is this sense that the only way we change things is if we can actually imagine that they will be different And I think when it comes to education, it is far too easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, this is the way it's always going to be. The problem is too big. There's nothing we can do about it. If that's how we feel about it, things won't change. And if we can imagine a possibility where things don't look like the way they are today, we can actually work towards that possibility. And he's given us some great tips about how to do that. So I hope you will take those tips. And I hope you will discuss this with the people around you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.